Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Advances the puck to Grunster. Partial step into the zone. Off the glove of Wedgwood. Rebound. Score! Fiala! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Deneau this way. Deneau moves into the doorstep. Arvidsson, a blind pass. They score! Beautiful puck movement to Arthur Kelly. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We've got another Road Report episode for you. Jim Fox and Zach Dooley both joined me from Chicago to talk about your L.A. Kings. Jim Fox joined me live on a Twitter space again, but we were beset by technical difficulties at the beginning and the end. So unfortunately, you're only going to hear a portion of the conversation. And unlike last time, there is no recording of it on Twitter. But I think there's enough there for you to enjoy, get something out of it. So it's Road Report time. Joining me now all the way from Chicago, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm okay. Well, I'm doing well, but... Take four. <laughs> yeah, today has been a rough day technology-wise. Uh, we're going to bring you this conversation with Zach. Then we'll bring you a segment of a conversation I had with Jim Fox on Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, we will only be able to bring you a segment of it. Zach, we are done with one segment of this road trip. Do you like how I did that? Good, good. A good segue. Yeah, that's right. Now, we did talk to Jim about this, but I'll ask you because Jim, I think, is more inclined to give a traditional answer from an organizational standpoint. Back-to-back games on the road. Um, As I said to Jim, I understand why coaches won't say it. I understand why players won't say it. And I understand to a lesser degree, why broadcasters are less inclined to say it. But from a fan perspective, I am less upset about a loss like the loss that the Kings suffered in Dallas because of the circumstances of the schedule. I think what it does is it just thins your margin for error quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not an excuse for the most part. There are a couple, you know, the 9-3 Colorado last year, a lot of that was the travel, a lot of that was the back-to-back. Uh, this one, not nearly as taxing, um, but I, it was kind of addressed last night as, you know, if the legs aren't there, which they might not be, the minds have to be, and the Kings made some mistakes that they probably would like to have back. Um, I talked with Phil Deneau kind of in a one-on-one after the game, and he said, you know, hey, like, it was an opportunity for us to steal points, um, and we knew they were going to be fresh because they hadn't played in three days. We played the night before, and we just weren't as sharp as we needed to be. Um I think sometimes it is probably more of an excuse than it's given. Other times, you know, it's just part of the schedule, right? The Kings get teams on the other end of it too. Um, The Kings were third in the league last year, I believe, in points per game on the second half of back-to-back. So this is a team that has traditionally been very good 
in these situations if you look at the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't think last night's loss is an end of the world because it's also the back end of a three and four, not just a back-to-back, um, which makes it even a little bit more taxing. And if you win tomorrow, which today, I guess, when this is dropped, you're 2-1-0 on the trip, and you'll take that every time. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't sit through the Monday night game against St. Louis. Um, I just saw the highlights. Put it on record here that you on the trip have watched a loss and missed a win. Yes. No, it happened. Uh, And actually now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm thinking about it, I thought I had talked to Jim about it, but that's part of the conversation that didn't get. I mean, maybe you're asking this question to deflect blame off of yourself. Boston, Dallas. Um, and yeah, it's just journalism right there, just deflecting, trying to spin the narrative. Uh, but what I was <laughs> what I was gonna say in my deflection was I there have been losses after wins this season that I felt it's a, still a young season, so we're not talking about a ton of um, examples. I think I know where you're going with this now, and I think I agree with you. But like, I just don't feel concerned about that loss in the way that I did about other ones. You know, I asked Jim, and I'm not sure his answer got captured on the segment that people will hear later, but you know, I said, I'm still not entirely sure that I know the, the quote unquote identity of this team, but at least a game like last night, I felt like it was a uh, move away from identity rather than more evidence that the team doesn't have one. I think the Winnipeg loss was concerning because Mm -hmm. They played so well against the Lightning and then made these mistakes against Winnipeg that contradicted that. Last night was not that kind of game, if that's kind of what you're getting at, and that's kind of how I felt about it as well. Like They played well against Toronto, well against St. Louis, so it's disappointing to not follow that up with another win, but it wasn't the same type of loss as, say, the Winnipeg one was, in my personal opinion. I thought there were a couple points in the game where the Kings could have settled things down, and they almost did, but... You can't take the penalties that they did, especially early on the second half of back-to-back. It limits the bench. It restricts the flow of the game. Um, And then the three goals, bang, 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 just kind of shell-shocked them. Um, Because I I thought when it was 1-1 that they were going to kind of come out of it. I thought they were going to calm things down a bit, and they did for a while. They started to play a little bit more like themselves. But then those three goals just kind of snapped it back, and then it it was just penalties. Yeah, you know, it's it's a weird comparison, but I'll draw it anyway. It's a little bit like the technical difficulties I had with Jim today where I didn't know what was happening. And when you don't know what's happening, there's very little um, feeling of confidence in your ability to correct it. Mm-hmm. Last night or two nights ago, whenever you're listening to this, the Dallas game, I knew what was happening. And so I wasn't worried. You know, it was, like you said, game three and four nights. The legs weren't there. There was mental errors. Peterson held the minute as long as he could. They tied it up. It was a, yeah. whatever, two-minute stretch of the game where it got blown out of control. They yeah. fought back and scored us, you know, and, and like, okay, I've seen that before. Like, I know, you know, whereas the Minnesota game, it's 76. You know, like, I've, yeah. like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> like, goals are being scored, but I have no idea what – what no, I'm supposed to think about this. I think that's a good way to put it, actually. Um, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you've seen losses like that before, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've seen you've seen nights like that where maybe they just don't have it 
they they grind it, they battle, they it wasn't a rollover game by any means, but yeah. they they just were they had less on that night than the other team. It wasn't where you're it wasn't a bunch of concerning stylistic things like maybe the Winnipeg game or some of those early season games. So I, I think you're right to differentiate, you know, that one specifically from a couple of the ones earlier in the year that were a lot more concerning. You know, we we talked to Todd McClellan about you know, had the outcome of the, was it the Winnipeg game where we asked that? If the outcome had gone differently, you know, would the coaching staff's yeah, response have changed? Yes. He said, no. And I, this, this game sort of feels like the spiritual twin of that game where it's like, yeah, they lost. It, right. it happens, you know, like you're not that phrase. You're never going to win them all. It yeah. means something. And I don't know. I guess I'm just not upset about it. Maybe I should be. I don't know. I feel like a bad fan now that I'm not upset sometimes when the team loses. See how we'll see how the Chicago game goes. Yeah, well that <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they get shellacked against Chicago, I'll feel a lot worse about it. I'll feel a lot worse about it. Um, I do want to talk about the lineup though, because the eleven seven combo notwithstanding, I listen, we you and I talked about how last year the Arvidsson on the top line experiment didn't last very long and, and how it was a topic of conversation even before it was over. Mm-hmm. But Fiala with Grunstrom and Kupari kind of works when it works. I mean, it's working right now, right? Yeah. I mean, Fiala's got six points in three games, I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's five since they moved to that line. I think it's six. I think it was mm-hmm. two, three, and one. Um Todd McClellan used an interesting phrase. He said that Kevin can produce with workers and he can produce with skill players. And Kupari and Grunstrom are kind of on that line between like, which of those buckets do they fall in? Because they kind of can flex both a little bit. I would almost say Grunstrom's a worker with skill and Kupari's a skilled with player who works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like they both kind of have both elements to their game. Uh, so it's a really interesting line. Um, and I think it just seems to be working right now. Like it kind of allows Fiala to be the, the alpha dog, if you will, on that line. Um, and he's producing, um, he's still on the power play and he's making stuff happen on the power play too. Had a nice assist in his first game with that line, um, against Toronto. And you're, you're starting to see like, okay, like I think, I think Fiala was making more plays than were resulting in points in those first nine games when he wasn't on that line. Um, but it seemed to really have invigorated both lines, the first line and the third line with this move. And as you get guys back by field and I follow, it just gives the team so much more depth and so many kind of difficult decisions to make because guys like Kupari are playing like they don't want to be reassigned to Ontario. And that's a really good thing. When did you ask Todd about the possibility? I think it was you, right? That asked about, the potential benefits of Fiala being the, the primary player on a line. Yeah, it was, it was right when the first day the moves were made. Was it after the Winnipeg game or was it? It was the, the day after day the Winnipeg game. Okay. The, they, they made those moves that Friday right. during practice. It was right, that right. press conference there and it was asked again, but differently on this road trip after he was actually, you know, successful on that line for two games. Did you, think that it, that possibility did exist or was it just something because it's been a narrative in the past particularly about Kempe I think you that, that's that's why I asked it was yeah. I recall a quote specifically from the COVID year mm-hmm. of like at the time they said oh well, 
Adrian sometimes works better when he's the alpha on the line. And I just looked at who Kevin Fiala played with last year, and it was you know a rookie in Matt Boldy, obviously a very good player, and a, a good player in Freddie Goudreau, but not a superstar center. Um, so, and, and Kevin Fiala was traded for in large part off of that year when he had what 85 points. So mm-hmm. clearly it worked for him with those two guys last year. So I was just kind of pulling two and two together thinking, Hey, maybe, maybe he is that kind of player who could drive his own line as opposed to try to fit into a line that already plays a certain way. And obviously Gabriel Velarde playing well with, uh, Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kempe, right just helps that <laughs> transition was, those new lines. I think we even like, I, I thought for a while that that Gabe could be a good fit there. I just feel like there are a lot of quirks to his game and Kopitar's game that in my head should mesh and they seem to be meshing right now. So that's a good thing. Do you mind um, elaborating on that? Because I have to, con- I confess, I, if you gave me a list of all the players that have ever played for the Kings over the last three or four years, I don't know that I would have ever come up with Kopitar and, and Velarde on the same line together. Um, what about Velarde's game made you think that? Same size, mm-hmm. both strong players along the boards. Uh, both have a high hockey IQ. Uh, they both play at the same speed, which, I mean, they're not necessarily fast, but they have the ability to play faster than they skate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly why. I just felt like the two of those guys would mesh. Um, Dustin Brown once told me that you like um, wingers. Kopitar sometimes liked wingers who can give him space mm-hmm. rather than converge on him. And I think that Gabe can be that kind of player where he can create space with the way that he plays. And there's a lot of little things that I thought, hey, I feel like this might work, you know, if, now that Bullard is a winger. And I think it's fair to say in three games, it's, it's looked pretty solid. I think it was Thon McClellan who said that there were similarities between Velarde and Fiala's game that might allow for Velarde to work well on top of Kopitar's line. And now watching these two combos for a handful of games – I, I didn't know what he meant, and, I, and I'm and not sure that I necessarily agreed with him when he said it. But now looking at it, it's almost – you know that expression, um, it's same quote, different font? Yeah. Um, that's sort of how I feel about now Velarde and Fiala. Like similar player, but totally different font. The, way, may- I, Sorry, the way I think the quote was that you know, Kevin Fiala, for all he's been touted as a goal scorer, is a great playmaker. Mm-hmm. I saw it as like, well, Gabe Velarde can also replace the playmaking side of Fiala's game on that line, but maybe little stylistical differences might fit them better elsewhere. So like you don't necessarily lose playmaking on either line by moving them around, but maybe you make them more effective each individually with the other parts of their game by swapping them in the lineup. It's weird. I'm not sure if it is just a question of Gabe Velarde's size. But I feel like the things that he does well that mirror the things that Kevin Fiala does well, it almost feels quieter to me when Velarde does it on the ice. Like, we've seen Velarde make moves where he's, you know, toe-dragging people and pulling the puck between his legs and slicing through traffic. And we've seen Fiala do it. But when Fiala does it, it's – I just – it's louder. I, I can't – there's no, I don't have a better word for it. But, like, it's it appears more dynamic. And draws more attention, even though they're doing the same thing. Because he's faster, probably. That's what it is. They might because yeah. I, I know. I think I know what you're saying, but it's just I think the speed element to Fiala's game versus the 
tighter spaces board work of Filardi's game. Like mm. they both make excellent plays in their own way, but I think Fiala has that engine where he can turn and burn. He saw it like the, the goal against Toronto, right? Where he picks it off, separates with ease and strides in. Like he just skates so well. I think it's the speed element that kind of makes Fiala come off the way that you just described it. Mm. It's, I'm not sure that it should matter, but it seems to me like that's the sort of thing that could also contribute to a player's success on a line where they're the quote-unquote um, alpha. Potentially, right? like, yeah. Andre Kopitar isn't sneaking up on anybody, but Carl Grundstrom and, and Rasmus Kupari might be allowed to skulk around the zone a little bit while all eyes are on Fiala, right? Because he's that much more noticeable. He's making those moves and drawing attention. And if, and if that line keeps playing like that, it's going to make some teams think, like, mm-hmm. can we put all of our resources towards stopping this line? Then you also have this line, but then you also have the nice line. And now you've got, you know, three lines that have higher level offensive players. And like, well, we only got three pairs of D, so they can't all be defense. So like, it does create potentially some mismatches if you can have that depth. And then there's the fourth line that has its own identity that that's going to continue to work hard. So it's, it's interesting um, so far, so good, and we'll see if it keeps going, especially as the Kings begin to reintegrate players here um, in the coming days, weeks, months, etc. I was just going to say, it might be it might be utterly moot by Saturday when Quentin Byfield, <laughs> if I don't know when he'll be available, but he didn't travel, no, right? like, the team comes home. So it's a, it's a good potential problem to have because, you know, Kupari has stepped in and done very well. Grundstrom has done well in an elevated role. The fourth line overall has been been pretty solid um, with different pieces. So it's a good problem to have. Um, not a problem that the Kings have had necessarily in recent years. You know, it's been, okay, guys, back. we got to plug them right in because the depth pieces haven't been at that level. Now you've got guys you know, like Kupari who, to start the year, are members of the Ontario Reign who are playing at an NHL level. So that's a, it's a good, good sign for this team. It is. It'll be an interesting month of November really well. Yeah. Uh, so the team plays in Chicago on Friday. No, Thursday, Thursday. Then they are home on Saturday. Um, I know Todd McClellan doesn't like to, well, no coach likes to answer it. And I'm certain that nobody was on the trip, uh, that was going to ask, but any inclination as to who might start in Thursday in net. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. Ask ask me up in the morning skate. I'll let you know. Yeah. Do they do uh, optional skates on the road? Um, pretty, it's mixed. Um, this skate or this trip, uh, likely a mandatory skate in Chicago because the day before was an off day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I found is typically day before off day is a full team skate. Day before practice day, he's used the optional skates to kind of manage the minutes. So since Wednesday in Chicago was a full off day. Um, guessing we'll see the full team on the ice, which will include a goaltender preview. Right. A hint at who might be starting. Goaltending hint. So I guess at some point we have to acknowledge that Brant Clark played his ninth game. And, you know, although you and I have discussed and I've discussed it multiple times, the 10 game mark doesn't put a limit on them sending him down. It does activate his contract. And if you're going to activate it, I suppose the assumption is that you might as well keep him around for longer than 10 games if you're going to burn it. But um, I certainly haven't heard anything definitive from the organization of you. 
Certainly not definitive. Um, signs seem to be trending towards, yeah, you know, it's likely to say as you hear a quote from Todd McClellan kind of speculating his way out of like, hey, here's Brant Clark at game nine and we hope he's in game 10 and 11 and 12 and suddenly it's June, you know, I remember that one. But right. look, we'll obviously learn, you know, definitively in the coming days. Um, he hasn't looked out of place in the NHL, that's for sure. Um, but I guess it there, there are, there are, still pros and cons to both sides of it. Um, and the evolving, you know, return of a guy like Sean Walker, I think is maybe one on the con side of it because of, you know, he's starting to look a lot more like himself and, and he's a veteran. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, Brant Clark's play has merited going back to the OHL. Um, but we'll find out in the coming days. I, I think if you asked me today, I'd say, yeah, he's, he's probably leaning towards staying, but we'll find out for sure. Potentially as soon as, today we're in Um, we're in one of those windows where it's so early in the season and i know it's always early until it's not but we're so early in the season right it's 12 games which doesn't seem like a small amount but but it's every game the result of every game tips everything right back you know so it's like they win two in a row and you're like oh this team's unbeatable the stanley cup then they yeah. lose a game and everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, problems everywhere. The boat is full of holes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with Brant Clark, right? He sets up that amazing goal uh, for Blake Lazat, which feels like two years ago now, but was yeah. probably three or four games ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody's saying, you know, well, based on the strength of that one assist, well, he's definitely staying. Right. And then, you know, he takes a holding penalty. Uh, in the next game and then, you know, plays a few and then sits for two. And now it's like, oh, well, they're going to. So <laughs> as you said, and I said, nothing definitive. Honestly, nothing would surprise me at this point, either way they no. chose to go. Yeah. And I, I think like, look, it, it, it appears more likely than not, right. That, yeah. that he's going to be staying here. That's, that's the indication, but it, it isn't yet definitive. And you never know what could happen. You never know when a player like Brand Clark might get hit in the face with a stick right at the end of the game in Dallas. Knock, that could knock on every piece of wood. Not, not to say that that one will. It doesn't seem like it will. Yeah. But you never know when things might happen that could change a decision one way or the other. So when it happens, it happens. And as you prefaced it with, game 10 does not mean 82. Right. It means 10 and then 11 and then 12. But it's just one marker on the line. It's not a final decision. Yeah. Having said that, we are going to go now and uh, bring you half of a conversation that I had earlier today with Jim Fox, also from Chicago. Zach Dooley, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Josh, if I remember correctly from last week, do I have that correctly? I'm so apologies, I don't remember. Hey, boys. Yeah, no, uh, you got it right. My name is Josh. Excellent. All right. uh, How are you doing today, Josh? Hey, boys. Uh, Foxy, I just... um... I was just thinking, so it's nice that we went into St. Louis and played real well, right? So in it because we played so well, it gave us an expectation that we might be able to go into Dallas and win, which is great. It's nice to be uh, to expect the Los Angeles Kings team to win hockey games. But however, you're going into Dallas on the second end of a back-to-back. It's not as if Dallas is some team that has nothing to offer. So I mean, this is a team that went to with the COVID Cup last year. They played, they pushed a really good Calgary team to seven games. And if I remember correctly, that game seven went to overtime. So they were really a shot away from possibly making another run. So I just think at some point, well, you got to give credit to the, to a good team for playing well. I mean, if you actually look at the schedule and you see at St. Louis and at Dallas the next night, you might think, well, 
that's that might be one where we drop points. So Dallas is it's possible that Dallas is just a really good hockey team. Uh, also, you brought up the ad- analytics, Fox. You know, just I'll end with this. A lot of the times that happens, right, where the analytics don't meet up with the eye test. However, you know, with that said, the best teams win most of the time. So if you know, taking it, uh, you know, game by game, at some point the analytics do line up. You would think, right? But that does happen in hockey a lot. So I mean, analytics is an interesting thing, but it's uh, it's not the be all end all. Anyway, thanks for calling me, bud. Thanks for letting me share. My pleasure. I'll follow up right there on the analytics one for, first. Uh, I think St. Louis was an anomaly. I really do. I, I think it was one of those games where you look at the score 5-1 and you make assumption dominance. Now, the breakdowns by St. Louis. So, again, you, there's two ways of looking at it, right? Okay. When the Kings break down, it's, oh, the Kings made a mistake. That's awful. When you get five against St. Louis, it's, oh, the Kings are moving the puck so well. Unbe- well, St. Louis was not defending very well either. That was a game there, and I mentioned it during the game, where uh, Bennington, the goaltender, he was pulled because it was a mercy pull. Uh, but he had no problem stopping pucks that were in front of him. He just had problems stopping pucks that were passed by him, which <laughs> sure. means that the, the coverage was awful. Three of the five were just tap-ins in behind him. So, you know, and then he gets pulled, and then you see 5-1. But th- I do think that the the chances that game were a little bit of askew as, as opposed to the eye test. Um, what I would say is when I look at the analytics, the one to, I look at individual players just to see how involved they are. And to me, that tells a story. For instance, Adrian Kempe, when he leads the Kings or is in the top two of the Kings players in you know, a zone exits or zone entries, that means he's skating with the puck, both ends of the ice, and I could look at those, and I could watch him play a game, and I'll fit. Geez, did, did Adrian ever play well tonight? And I bet you, I bet you, at the end of the game, that he's leading in zone exits and zone entries. I can bet you that. Uh, the one area where it does stand out is pretty clearly defined. And Jesse, you talked about it earlier, is this that home plate area? You know, the quality scoring chance. There's no question that's where goals are scored from. That's where they're scored from. They're scored from that area. There's you know a couple that are scored from outside that a long shot from the point. Again, you have the screen. That's a whole different thing. But most of the goals, you have to get the puck to the middle. All right, Josh, thank you. Again, we've got uh, Lieb. Lieb. I, we did this last yeah. week. I'll uh, ask you again to correct my pronunciation, though. Uh, Lieb, is it Lieb? Or was it Lieb? It's Lieb. Lieb. All right, I was right the first time. Apologies. Yep, How are you doing it. today? I'll get it right Good. one of these weeks. Uh, you got it. Don't worry. Um, I just wanted to piggyback off of what uh, Jim was saying about the uh, – Chances against last night and the chances against in St. Louis. If you look at last night, I think there are only two goals that Peterson gave up that you could really say he should have had that. And then there were 10 or 15 chances that never should have happened if they were playing struck the way that they want to be structured. There was the bounce off of Mikey's stick. There was the bounce over, um, over Kupari's stick with no defenseman behind him. There were a bunch of different areas like that. And if you look at St. Louis's game, even though they only scored one goal, if you look at that last power play, the one that the game ended on, there were three different times that there was a rebound in front of the net that got shot over or or wide of the net. So, you know, they're still giving up chances that are a little bit of an issue when it comes to defensive structure, but it just kind of depends on whether they're going in or not. And 
neither of those games was dominated in either direction, really. It's just a little bit of a structural issue on the Kings' back end right now. Now, forgive me, but I don't believe a bounce over a stick is structurally, it doesn't involve structure. Well, the Kupari one did because there was no one behind him. Okay, but yes, so that's an individual decision by Kupari to try a stick handle in the neutral zone. And the puck, that's, you know, that's a little bit, I think we can go to Todd's quite, you know, you've got to understand risk. So was it a completely controllable puck? If it was, and then, you know, Kupari stripped of that puck, then you say, okay, good job. The other team did a great job. They get underneath his stick. You know, they, they created a turnover. Last night, unfortunately for Erasmus, it was, it looked to me, that he was trying to pick up a loose puck and make a stick handle with it right away, and then he lost it. And under that circumstance, I don't know if defenders could have helped. I really don't. So that's where the structure is. I think that was an individual decision. Again, the Mikey Anderson one, it bounced over a stick. He takes a penalty, and the goal is scored on the power play. And I mentioned it a couple of times. I, I felt that's... You know, that's again, that's why I didn't feel the buildup of Dallas last night. I mean, until that power play goal, I mean, Mikey Anderson was chasing down a normal puck. Now, you can go back to the previous entry, and this is this is the great thing about hockey. And, and I've talked to you know, as a broadcaster, you know, just if you can put yourself in my shoes, I have 20 seconds to summarize a goal after it's scored. I could go back to that one and go, okay, Fiala tried or, uh, Someone tried to make a pass across the zone to Kupari. Might have been Dowdy. He hits Fiala in the skates. Mm-hmm. It bounces back into the Kings. Goal. Mikey Anderson over stick hand, or he, he just missed the puck. He flubbed the puck. Then it goes here. Then he reaches out and gets a hook. Okay, then what happens? End zone face off. There's so many domino effects that happen, and sometimes you just have to zero in. Uh, that's what, that, that Mikey Anderson, I didn't think that was caused by the Dallas Stars onslaught and pressure. And that's why I believe that the Kings were still in the game at 3-1 and 4-2. I, I really did. 4-1 at one point. They made it 4-2. I thought they were still in it uh, because they weren't. I thought they weren't. I don't think there was much problem to me last night, as many nights with the structure last night. I thought that was okay uh, where it did break down. And, you know, you can. the obvious part was the penalty kill. I mean, it just broke down. And. I mentioned it post-game. I just thought the Kings were not ever able to get any pressure on the puck whatsoever to start a, you know, that rotation where you get one guy jumping, next guy jumping, you're all in. Well, they never, and Dallas was able to pick exactly where they wanted to attack from. Leib, thank you very much for the question. We're going to go to uh, Robert now. Robert, thank you for joining us uh, as soon as you're uh, accepted as a speaker by the system. Welcome. And uh, how are you doing today, Robert? Good. How you doing, Jesse? How you doing, Jim? Doing great, thank you. Good. You are in fine form this season. Um, thank you, sir. The past three seasons, we've heard Todd McClellan talk a lot about their system. And I know you referenced it earlier, you know, maybe having gone from a one-three-one type of system to a more offensive system. Has there been... What I've noticed is I think they're giving up more grade-A chances this year 
compared to the end of last year. And I can't remember the beginning of last year. I mean, obviously, they started 1-5-1. and one. But are, is there a metric that you can measure? And I know, Jesse, you're not a fancy stats guy, neither am I. Is there a stat that, that shows how many grade A and, and, and prime chances they're giving up to the opposition? One, and has, has Todd changed his system to reflect that and maybe that's a reason why they're giving up more grade a chances well the first the first of all the only person to answer that would be todd sure. but because I, i'm making i'm forming an opinion on what i'm seeing again i think they're no longer using the 131 as their number one option it's still being used and it's still being used quite a bit but i think todd's point is this and if there is a metric, I think it's there. The general metric would be turnovers. And then you would go, where do those turnovers happen? I think you've heard me say quite a bit this year, double cross. Meaning when you have the puck with possession yeah. and your teammates are assuming it's going to be going forward towards the other team's net. And for whatever reason, you know, you, you could play the, the, uh, last night, you could say that pass by Dowdy across the offensive blue line that hit the skate of Fiala that bounced back into the king zone. Is that a turnover? Yeah, it's, it's in that gray area. But I think that's where the metric would be. And that becomes, and I think Todd has talked about it, it's a mindset issue of, okay, we are more skilled. We have more balance offensively. So can we try things more with a mindset to create offense? And yes, you can. But like the old proverb in pool and billiards is, it's not what you make, it's what you leave. Todd had a statement the other night, and I don't think I've had a chance to really get into it, but I think it was great because early in the season, it was front net coverage was an issue. And the other night he said, it's decisions that we're making that allows the puck to get to the front. And he means the decisions the Kings are making when the Kings have the puck that allow the other team to take it to the front. So if the metric is there, I would say, I would say there's been a little bit of a shift in mindset, excuse me, a bigger shift in mindset, a smaller shift in system, and that number would be turnovers and double-cross turnovers, which I don't think is an official term, but it's turnovers, again, uh, right inside the opposition's blue line where everyone else is thinking green light go, and then if it's turned over there, you're in trouble, as opposed to if you get the puck deeper into the offensive zone and you turn it over, you still have four bodies for the other team to go by to get to the Kings net. The plays the Kings have been making with the puck, I think, have been turnover and kind of like uh, was mentioned by Lee the other a couple of moments ago, um, where you know Kupari coughs it up and there's no one back. So now it's a direct track to the front of the net for the opposition. Oops, sorry, Robert, I had to mute you there. It sounded like you were in traffic and uh, we're just struggling to, to hear over uh, the cars. But if you want to follow up, go ahead and uh, unmute yourself and uh, we'll, we'll let you in there. But Jim, there have been conversations um, about the shift of balance on the defensive end from zone to man to man. And we've heard Todd McClellan talk about the role that the offensive players have to play in the defensive effort, um, how much impact does that shift have on the way the offense? Okay. When did the shift take place? 
this season? Is, uh, oh, no, 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 no. All right. Kings played, Kings played man on man last season. Oh yeah. That's, that, that's my opinion. Okay. I've never asked Todd McClellan or Trent Yanni or any, I've never said, what's your defensive zone coverage. I'm just watching and I'm making the assumption. I don't think there's a, much of a difference. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Again, it may shift. No, it does. No, we had a, we had a replay from St. Louis the other night where Mikey Anderson defending was at the Kings blue line. You're saying as far as far as far away as you can get from the front of the net, right? Because that's man on man. I think I could show you a billion examples from last year, also. But does that change the way that offensive players have to think about defense? Well, it changes it compared to if you played more of a zone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, zone. There's less skating. Zone, you're, you know, you're waiting for someone to come into your area as opposing to man-on-man, locking onto someone and staying with him until your team regains possession. And if it has become more increased this year, more aggressive man-on-man, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with the person who can provide me with that. And maybe it would be Todd or Trent. Or, I, I just think I'm seeing, I saw that last year, I believe, uh, with uh, more of a man-on-man. Do you think that there's a type of defenseman or a type of assemblage of defensemen that are more suited to one versus the other, or can you ask any group to play either way? You're correct in both points. Okay. There are there are certain defense men, defenders, who are better suited to zone as opposed to man-on-man, and there are... You can ask players to do whatever you darn well want them to do. And what you want, you're the coach. I would assume that the Kings are mobile and that allows them to use their feet more, which puts them more into that man-on-man category. They can skate better than most defenses. Uh, Size would be a factor. Are they big enough? Because once you get into the one-on-one battles or you're being out-muscled, not because you're not trying, and you know my thoughts on that, Jesse, uh, it's because you're just out man, maybe in that circumstance. Um, how you read the play, that's a whole other thing. And uh, I think that goes away from your style of defender to more of it's, you know, you're, you're just, you're able to pick it up or not. And I think that's the biggest example for how you hear coaches many, many, many times say it takes a defenseman three to four to five years until they really get it. And many times, it's not improving their skating, it's not improving their strength, it's improving just how quickly they read the play as it comes at them. All right, unfortunately, at this point, I was no longer able to hear Jim. Everybody listening on Twitter Spaces was able to hear Jim, but I was not. Um, And we didn't record it, because I couldn't hear it, and I was the one recording it. So, hope you enjoyed it. Apologies for the technical difficulties. We will do it again. Stick around. We'll talk to you soon.